Welcome Sue Montgomery to the Bridge the Gap show that we do over here. My name is Holden Stefan Roy. And basically, typically this is the show where we would uh, talk to more creative professionals, kind of run through their life stories, get a gist of who they are. And then as we were going along this journey, you know, the Montreal election got it became like a, ish, uh, a thing that happened. And along the way, it was like this realization that, at least for myself, there's not a lot of great English uh, resources to learn about what's happening in the local elections that are going on. And then I know there's a couple other podcasts. I know you were just speaking to some other people. So there is some other stuff happening. So big love to everybody else out there that's actually making that effort. But there's still not a lot out there that's making it simple to like um kind of learn what's actually happening with everything out there either so, way it's good to have you here because yeah like we want to basically kind of just run through your story a little bit and get to know you a bit better because that's the best way to kind of i feel decide who you want to vote for is to get an understanding of who the person is um yeah. so with that um could we like to like kind of start it off like almost chronologically because it just makes the most sense of like how life works so if you could let us know where you kind of were born and where you come from in the early parts of your world well a long time ago uh i was born actually in brampton ontario when brampton was like thirty thousand people and there was lots of farmland between brampton and toronto now it's basically part of toronto um <clears throat> so and while I was growing up there, I was, uh, I, we had the first school shooting in Canada happen at my high school. So that was sort of, I would say, one of the uh, life changing events uh, in my life. Uh, I was in grade nine and uh, a grade 11 student came in with guns and uh, killed a student and uh, injured 11 and killed himself. So I was witness to that. And, um, you know, so uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we can come back to that at some point, but it was just kind of interesting that's a, because- That's definitely a wild start. Yeah, like, and it was kind of interesting because you know, now when there's shootings, they bring in psychologists and people talk about it. And, but in, in that was in the seventies and nobody talked about it. Like we just, we had a week off school for them to, Get rid of the bullet holes and then we had to go back to school and we just nobody ever talked about it and it was just a few years ago that a group of students uh former students that were there at the time got together and uh, created a memorial uh to that shooting for the the 40th anniversary of the uh shooting so that was that was uh you know when i was in grade nine so what are you 15 or something so so then i went out west i decided i wanted to to, to go away for university. So I went to UBC. And after a couple of years there, I was kind of, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And what so I had a professor. What were you studying? I still don't know. Um, I was studying a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I had David Suzuki. I took a genetics course because I thought that would be interesting. Like, so you, got, so like he, you took a course with David Suzuki? Yeah, but he wasn't that well known then. You know, you have to re you have to remember this was in another century, right? So uh, he was much younger and uh, less known. Like he was known as a geneticist at that time. So. I took and so he offered a course for laymen like people who weren't scientists like myself so it was very interesting but anyway i was kind of lost and i had a professor who was german and she said you don't belong here go to europe 
I said, okay. I said, where should I go? And she said, Germany. And I said, I don't speak German. She says, ah, that'll be fine. Anyway, long and short, I ended up in Germany in Mannheim, which is between Frankfurt and Heidelberg, going to university, not speaking a word of German. Uh, and eventually, and it was very interesting time too, because it was during the peace movement in Germany. Uh, the Greens were in power and Ronald Reagan's government in the States was trying to put Pershing missiles in, at the time it was West Germany and in East Germany, it was divided. The wall was still up. So like you before the age of 20 have already dealt with like two big crisis things in your, in your life of like serious <laughs> tension and stress. Yeah, but I was just, I kind of lived my life like this all the time. I just, if someone suggests I should do something and I'm at a crossroads, I just think, yeah, okay, why not? So I kind of liken my life to a pinball machine, you know, where you pull the thing back and the ball goes, hits, hits things and then goes off in a different direction. That's sort of the way I've lived my life. So anyway, I had finished my degree in political science and, uh, and uh, then I didn't have a job. Um, so I worked in a women's prison uh as a correctional officer uh which was quite funny too because i had no experience at all like i hadn't even taken was a site like court. in germany or was that no it was in brampton so you'd come i went back, back at to that brampton point. there is this it's still there it's called vanier center for women so it's a medium security uh prison and i found it super interesting to to talk to these women because obviously they had very different lives than I had. And uh, so I spent a lot of time just talking to them. And that's when I, you know, throughout that time, I decided I wanted to become a journalist because I thought these are the kind of stories that need to be told, you know, that like, I just found them fascinating. And I just thought we need to tell these stories of these people who are kind of invisible in our community. So I went to Carleton and I studied journalism. And from there I went to the Toronto Star and then I got a job at the Montreal Gazette. So that's how I ended up at the, in so Montreal what's, what's it like in 1986. Be, so you're not even born yet, I don't think by this nah, time, right? I'm born one year later. <laughs> but I have a question though about being a journalist back then at like a newspaper, just before we like, cause, I, cause you know, first of all, that's a lot of incredible things that you just dropped in a row. And it's like been like seven minutes. That's intense. But what's it like to be a journalist prior to the internet and working at a newspaper? Because like I understand the content flow of how a newspaper runs today, but I couldn't even really picture what it would be like to be in that ecosystem in the 80s. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question, actually. And, uh, you know, I look back on my days at the Gazette. Uh, it was a huge newsroom. We were down on St. Antoine Street. There were about 300 people there. I think there's maybe three people left. At the Gazette. Um, but honestly, like when something happened, okay, for example, I'll give you an example of a story I had to cover. So this guy was working at Burger King. He, Some guy comes in to rob them and the guy working there picks up the butcher knife and stabs the robber. So he's this hero, right? Because he, you know, saved Burger King or whatever. So I had to find this guy. So I picked you know what, what a phone book is? Yes. Like, I can't believe I'm like talking I'm not, like this. But I'm, I'm not that young. 
Okay. So you know what a phone book is. So we used to have to go through the phone book and call people because I knew which street it was on. So we had sort of a reverse phone call phone book where you could look up a street and find out who lived there. So I knew which street this guy lived on. So I called everybody on the street and I found them. So I went and interviewed them. And uh, so that's what we had to do. So it was a much slower pace. You know, we only put out one newspaper a day, right? Like you worked all day on your story and then it went to bed at, I don't know, midnight or something. And then the next day you start all over again. But nowadays it's just like- So you would churn out a story a day and it had to be like fitting in, edited, everything? Yep, yep. That's Unless you're working on a big feature, you know, you could have time to work on a bigger, more investigative thing. But for a hard news story like that stabbing, uh, you just do one a day. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. I love that. How do you find out about these stories? Like, that's the part that is actually. Oh, that's interesting. It's like, where does the news get the news? Well, we had, good question. We had a police room where we would listen in on the police scanners. So we knew all the codes and they would say, you know, cat, cat, cat. You know, there'd be all this static on the, the radio and then we could hear if there was a shooting or a stabbing and we could hear where it was. And so it was, or we didn't know where it was, but we would call the PR person at the cops. And those days the cops were much more open with information. In fact, everybody was. Now you can't get answers for anything, right? But um, yeah, and you would make friends, like you would make sources, you would have sources in different places who would feed you things too. I don't know, you find you find like, stories. Like literally like on TV where you got to like befriend people at yeah. the department and charm them and kind of get your person all over. Yeah, and then someone shows up with a brown envelope, you know, and got all the the goods in there that actually happened to me one story i did was about college notre dame you know it used to be a boarding school for boys and it, it's owned by uh brother saint croix the, the brother the religious order that owns the oratory like they're loaded they have they own all kinds of land and things well a guy came to me with all kinds of emails and letters uh proving that they had been sexually abusing um, these young boys back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, the classic uh, priests, brothers, sexually abusing young boys. Um, but these guys had never talked about it. And so I tracked a lot of them down and interviewed them. And it was very sad because for a lot of them, it was the first time they'd ever talked about their abuse. And a lot of them, it had destroyed their lives. Like they were divorced, they were alcoholics, they had drug issues, they, you know, they couldn't hold down work, all because of what had happened to them as kids. So anyway, that led to a, a lawsuit and they got $18 million settlement from, from this order, this religious order, which was the biggest settlement in Canada. So I was, you know, so that's the kind of journalism I like to do that that makes a difference for people, that uh, brings about, about some kind of social change, social justice, um, you know, like speaking up for people who really don't have the power to speak up for themselves. Yeah, but it's like wild to think that you actually create change with it. Like it's, yeah. it's one thing to just post on Facebook, it's another thing to actually 
be in a position to take stories like that and to move with them and to be inspired from that from like the prison situation and to end up in a place where you're really like following up on stuff is actually it's just incredible yeah no it was really great and and then when i was at the gazette for a long time i was the justice reporter so i covered a lot of things at court and i'm sure you remember the magnata trial um luca magnata so i, tr I had to cover that so that was uh that was probably the uh, strangest trial ever covered, but I found it oddly uh, just very sad. You know, it was really like this guy was clearly mentally ill and never ever got the help he needed. His parents kept him at home for the first, I don't know how many years of his life. They didn't, his mom was a germaphobe and wouldn't let him go to school. And so, I mean, it was clearly, lacking in something you know maybe love i don't know but um it sounds weird to have empathy for a murderer like that but i did feel uh i feel like there's a lot of people like that in our society who you know they wouldn't be where they are now if it wouldn't be full of hate and um violence or aggression if they had just sort of had that love growing up or even now you know or even like resources like the the mental mm -hmm. health services in quebec are not exactly a global ideal to look to and point to from my experiences dealing with family members who've dealt with the douglas it's uh yeah the douglas is wild like i don't want to yeah, get too deep but there's some yeah. wild stuff that goes on at the douglas from what i've heard <clears throat> not yeah. like crazy wild but more like the they look the other way for drug dealing kind of wild Hmm. Yeah, we. It's a real problem, and I and I think with COVID, um, we're seeing more of it now. And I think we're going to, you know, the long term effects are going to be quite long lasting. I think in terms of mental illness uh, from this pandemic, because we're all experiencing the stress, but we're not really aware of it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this low level under the radar sense of foreboding like what's gonna happen yeah i definitely yeah. agree with that like we're trying to figure out like events right so we wanted to go to the park bring us some stuff and then we found out recently yo maybe some other people doing a similar thing spread covid recently and it's like oh say a word that's a whole extra level of details that never existed or the app there's an app on my phone now with a green thing that's wasn't that's necessary right. before that's wildly stressful your vaccine i know I know it's it's very it's surreal like every once in a while I, I can't believe that I think this is affecting the entire world you know we've never lived through something like this um I definitely think you're right though that there's a lot that we're not feeling that even like the most stable well together person has never experienced this level of long-term trauma that the country is yeah. facing because everybody knows somebody that's messed up over this right now everybody I does. know and I, I think know. it's cool that that's like a focus for you. I don't know. What well, I think people have to understand, like, I know in our borough, especially, like, we have the biggest borough, and I'm the mayor of the biggest borough and the most populated and the most diverse. So I spent a lot of time during COVID on Zoom calls with different communities, different community groups. You know, one day I did sort of a little cooking class with some people um, because I think uh 
I think what this this pandemic has has made us aware of is the fact is the need for other each other. You know, we need each other, and we need community. And you know, we're social beings. We're not meant to be at home alone for days on end. And so, I think uh, you know, when I'm running for mayor now I'm running again, I, I really want to think about how do we break down those barriers that were there uh, that meant that some people were stuck at home alone for days on end with nobody talking to them, you know, like how do we, how do we build community so that we take care of each other and um, look out for each other and, um, you know, like, be a real community where you know your neighbors and uh, you look on in on each other because, you know, it was heartbreaking to to find these elderly people home alone where nobody was coming to visit them, like not even their families, you know. And I would make phone calls uh, to talk to people, um, and and you can tell that they were deteriorating by the month because they had. A lack of of interaction with human beings, you know, and they were too afraid to go out um, because they didn't want to get sick. Understandably, so so I think going forward, we really have to uh, reconsider or reevaluate everything, like how we're living. You know, people are working at home now. Uh, how can we? How do we? How do we shift our community so that it's more uh, caring and humane? That's a super big point. Like you just in general, I don't have any of the answers to that. I don't even know how to approach that pro uh, kind of stuff. How how do you tackle something like that as a mayor? Well, you know, we have a lot of amazing community groups in our borough and Cotonou NDG. And honestly, we would not have got through the pandemic without them. And they were amazing. And they bent over backwards and worked long hours and you know, just they performed miracles, really. And I think it's I think it's important to point out that all the people that kept us going during the pandemic were people uh, like community workers, nurses, uh, grocery store clerks. Um, at the borough, it was like the garbage men, you know, or garbage men and women who picked up the garbage. All these people who had to go to work while others had the privilege of staying home. Uh, or, and working from home, these are the people that kept us fed, kept us healthy, um, you know, kept our streets clean, more or less. Uh, <laughs> it's not always easy. Uh, and yet, you know, and a lot of them are women, and a lot of them are underpaid. And I think we need to look at, you know, these essential workers and how we value their work. I definitely appreciate that. Um, so like, I guess with that, let's say like, what can you do? And I don't mean it to like kind of repivot it back, but like what initiatives or whatever can you do to actually kind of stimulate that level of interest into the community groups or like, I mean, some of the stuff that's always been kind of confusing to me is like the, what can be done now you're yeah. like the actual mayor mayor. You're not like the trying to become the mayor. You're not the whatever. So you've actually got like a degree of not mayor. a mayor wannabe. Right. I'm not a mayor wannabe, right? So like 
you truly like yeah so no but that's a good question and and a lot of people are confused rightly so because the city of montreal is so complicated and unnecessarily so as far as i'm concerned so we have 19 boroughs right and each borough has its own council with its own mayor and then you have the downtown council like the city council that has 65 councillors that come from the boroughs. You got that? You still with me? Yeah. And then you have the mayor of the city who is Valerie Plant right now, right? So, so yeah, so the question is, what do we have the power to do? Because health, things like health and education, that's sort of a provincial uh, responsibility. So we take care of sort of the basics, right? The garbage, the recycling, the uh, compost, the snow clearing, uh, you know, local bylaws about noise, uh, urban planning, like, you know, if you wanna change the windows on your house, how you could do that. If you wanna do an extension to your house, how do you do that? Um, things like, uh, um, you know, apartment building, like unsanitary conditions. Like if you've got a, a hoarder for a neighbor, you can call the inspector and they can come because it's a, a health risk for everybody, right? So those are the kind of things we can do. But the things that I, and that's the day-to-day -day stuff, right? But the things we did during COVID, for example, we made these little gathering places at Royal. There's one at Royal in Sherbrooke. I don't know where you are, Holden. Are you Fielding. in MDD? Or? Yeah, I'm on Fielding huh? Rosedale. Okay. So we put one further west as well at Sherbrooke and Madison. It needs some plants and stuff. It doesn't look all that um, welcoming right now, but it's new. And another one at Monkland and Girouard. So we just have Adirondack chairs and it's like a deck and you can, and people loved it. Like you can Oh, just I know what have, you're talking about. I know the show. You know, well, we had the, the, it was like we had the Northern Lights there, which was kind of weird. Um, but I think next year we'll just have a tree. Like, I don't think we need the Northern Lights going around. But people really liked people really liked it like picking up a coffee and sitting outside and just talking to whoever was there maybe or not even talking to somebody reading a book and i think we need more public spaces like that we saw how much our parks were used during covid because so many people in our borough don't even have a backyard don't have a balcony and there's a whole bunch of people living in an apartment and they need that space so that's where I would like to invest is in green space and parks and gathering spaces. And you know, where you live in the Western part of NDG, I'm, I'm just amazed at how wide some of the streets are, right? Like Fielding has that big strip of green space in the middle, which just seems to be wasted, you know, like, I don't know, can we put some furniture in there for people to sit on? Would people sit there? I don't know. But I don't know. I just think are, are that you even allowed if to stay in the middle because it's in the middle of the street. I know it's in the middle like of the street. I know. Like my parental training is like you're not allowed to go. <laughs> right, but that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like that whole street is so wide. Like I don't understand why. Maybe it was back in the days when remember they drove like the big wide, like when cars sort of dominated. Uh, when they first started coming and everybody bought a car, right? It was a big thing. And uh, so we built these huge wide streets that sort of, I think, take a lot of humanity 
away from our our community and it sort of divides us it like you come out of your house you get in your car you drive to work or you drive your kids to school or and there's no sort of interaction with um with your neighbors so if we uh created some green space like in some neighborhoods in NDG, they have the alleys right so the kids play in the alleys but we've really taken a lot of space away from kids because when we were growing up, we could play on the street. We played like road hockey or, you know, because um, there wasn't that much traffic. But nobody would dream of letting their kid play on the street now. Right. So I just want to look at a way that we could maybe take part of the street because you could still have room for parking and cars to drive and still have some extra green space. You know, they're so wide. Like Walkley is incredibly wide. Right, that street. I don't know that I've ever thought about how wide streets are before this moment, and at all. Like I just, it's never well. Take a look next time. Next time you're going down this, well, this is what happens when you become the mayor. You notice these things, and you think, hmm, well, how could we do this better? You know. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is planting trees. We planted over two thousand trees during my mandate. I want to plant a lot more. Uh, we need that for climate change. I mean, it's, you know. It's a drop in the bucket, but we all have to do our part to fight climate change. We don't have a choice. Like, look at how hot our summer was. I don't think I've ever experienced a Montreal uh, a summer like this. Like, yeah. it was unbearable. And it's, and it's scary. going to get worse, not better. Yeah, it's scary. Um, so, and that, you know, that requires... You know, the, the green canopy, we got to protect that and our green spaces and find a way to get people at least on short trips to walk or bike or use public transit, you know? Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that's a challenge. I'm on the cycle team, so I'm okay with this. I'm just like, I'm not, I don't know, I haven't had a car in a I long cycle time. everywhere. But we need more protected uh, bike lanes because, uh, you know, I understand parents don't want their kids to bike and I, I get it. It's, you know, you have to be, you have to have eyes all around your head, right? When you're cycling here. Yeah. You get used to it. Like you success, do get used to it. I, but I think as a parent, you don't yeah. want to take a chance with your kid. And I would love to see more kids walk and ride their bikes to school, you know, rather than having the parents dropping them off all the time. Um. I have a question about how you got like into politics because we kind of jumped ahead, <laughs> which is fine. It's all about going however it goes naturally. But like, how did how do you go from being a journalist covering stuff to like like when did you even start running or considering a political career? Well, remember earlier in this interview, I told you that my life is sort of, you know, this uh, pinball machine where I just kind of take up whatever challenge someone suggests to me. So. I decided to leave the Gazette because, as you know, journalism really changed and there wasn't a lot of uh, resources to do the kind of journalism I want, you know, I had been used to. And I had been doing it for 30 years. I'd, I'd covered like the earthquake in Haiti. I would covered the Velvet Revolution in the Czech Republic. I covered um, Mandela. I covered apartheid. Did you have to go to all these places? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they were life-changing, especially the earthquake in Haiti was incredible. And I was in Haiti during the uh, 2004 coup when Aristide was uh, 
was taken out by Canada, France, and the United States. That was, I had guns to my head. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and then I was, I happened to go to Prague and arrived during the exact 10 days of the Velvet Revolution. Like that was in 1989, 1990, everything was happening, right? The Berlin Wall fell, uh, you know, Czechoslovakia, there was the Velvet Revolution, and then Mandela was released. And, you know, it was a great period to be a journalist, but also just to be alive, because there was so much hope in the world that things uh, were going to get better, you know, that there would be, there was freedom, like they'd let Mandela out of jail, you know, and apartheid ended. And um, I don't know. And I, I think we haven't had any good news since then, <laughs> it feels like. Um, so anyway, I, I decided in 2015, well, in 2014, I created the hashtag been raped, never reported after Gian Gomeshi was uh charged with sexual assault. I don't know if you remember that story, but he used to yeah. work at CBC. I remember that one. Yeah, so I started a ha the hashtag and it was kind of like the precursor to the Me Too hashtag. So it was a bit longer than Me Too hashtag, but anyway. Uh, but it was used like 10 million times around the world in the first 48 hours. Like there was clearly a need to talk about sexual assault. Um, but that was seven years ago. And, so I you know, we you start you saw that case and, and then made a hashtag out of that and yeah. it actually worked <laughs> it did like but you know it was it was it, it wasn't it wasn't something that i planned i just was so angry that everybody was making excuses for this guy and you know they were saying why don't these women give their names why don't they go to the police uh you know why are they accusing him uh without proof and all this stuff so i just thought well i know why because we all do that we all you know don't go to the police and all rape victims do that that's how we behave because we've learned that uh the system doesn't exactly support us so I made this hashtag and I talked about my own sexual assault and I was, it just went crazy. Like it just went, uh, well, I should say viral, right? So, and then I was on, I was doing interviews in India and England and all these women were writing to me and uh, it was just like this, this flood, the floodgates had opened about sexual assault around the world. And um, yeah, so that was 2000. 14. And then in 2015, I just decided I'd had enough with journalism. So I took a package, the Gazette was offering packages, I took a package without a plan. Like, I didn't know a plan, i.e. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I just quit. And uh, then I, somebody suggested I run in Westmount NDG for the NDP. So I presented myself in the nomination, but I didn't win. So That's I didn't the have part to be when there. you're like competing with the other people trying to get in the party, right? Yeah. You try to become the candidate, right? And there were eight of us. And uh, Jim Hughes won the uh, nomination. I came second. Uh, and it was a good experience, but I thought, okay, if I can check politics off my list. But then in 2017, I was working for Amnesty International and how, how did no, you I was working. How did you get into Amnesty? That's a huge jump. No, I wasn't working there yet. Wait, 
back up. I was working for the um, the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And um, I was working on that uh, inquiry. And Valerie Plant, her assistant, called me and said she wanted to have coffee with me. And I agreed. But then I was like, Ugh. I said to my husband, I know what this is about. She's going to ask me to run in the election. And my husband said, well, just go see what she says. You know, there's nothing to lose. So I went. She said, we want you to run to be mayor of Cote d'Ange NDG. And I said, do you know me? Like, I'm not a politician. I speak my mind. And she said, yes, that's why we want you. So I ran. And I worked for Amnesty International during the summer. While, and then the election started. And, um, uh, and then I won. You know, like, I didn't really expect to win. I beat... Uh, Russell Kaufman, and um, then I was the mayor. So, uh, so yeah, I was a bit, you know, I think Proje Montréal was shocked that they won too, the whole party, you know, that Bao got in and, but I think Coderre didn't really run a campaign. And also he tried to ban, he banned pit bulls, right? That was, that was the good. death of him. That was the end of him. And, and that touch electronic car thing that I didn't know. Was oh, happening. yeah, the e-race. I didn't even know e that was happening. I just know a lot of people were mad about that. So that was yeah. just the, those two things. Yeah, that was another weird thing. And he pretended that they sold a lot of tickets and they didn't. He basically lied about it. And he also cut down a thousand trees down on Ile Saint-Hélène, which uh, that's the thing that made me quite angry. Anyway, so... I got elected and then, yeah, I was mayor. So, and now I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so, uh, how, how, okay, like, what, what is it like to become a mayor? Like, out of just, was it like a huge transition? Oh, yeah. I mean, the learning curve is so steep. Like, it's, I would say this is one of the biggest challenges uh, of my life, for sure. There was so much to learn. And as you know, the city is so complicated. And I still, um, I'm still trying to figure out how the budget works, you know, how they distribute money among the boroughs. Um, I'm sure there must be a formula somewhere locked in a safe, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, um, Anyway, but it, I, I say it's really difficult but or, or challenging for sure, but I really like it. And the thing that I like the most about it is listening to people, meeting people. Like now we're doing door to door for the election. And I just find, I find people fascinated and every single door is different. Like it's, it's a person with a whole life story who has come from, you know, a different country or was born here or whatever, but it's just, uh, it's so multicultural. And uh, like tonight I met people from, who had come from Vietnam, Sri Lanka, India, the Philippines, and that was just on one block, you know? So I love that about it. And I love to try to help people and to try to solve their problems and figure out how we can create a better community for everyone. 
Definitely appreciate that. So how? So we basically end up in a situation that is definitely well documented at this point. Um, and now you're in charge of the courage, courage party. Yeah. So I guess when it comes down to that, we're at the point where it looks like a lot of names on a list and I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. Everybody I've talked to has talked about making parks better. It seems to be like everyone's <laughs> going to get elected and work on parks and green spaces. So I guess how do we differentiate between all of these parties right. as people? Like what is the difference between a courage a projet montreal and a movement montreal which fundamentally if you were to ask me are all kind of in the same realms of politics being all the same like sphere of stuff and then there's mm-hmm. the other groups well, that i don't know about so they're probably not my people <laughs> that's how I well i think you have to look at um i think you have to look at experience too i think some of the the you know, like I, my hat's off to everyone who puts their self out there to run for politics. It's not easy. And you've seen like what you experience on uh, social media. It's, uh, it's like we're not humans, like people have the right to say whatever they want to us. And uh, so that can be really tough. You have to have a thick skin. But I think what differentiates my part, there's two things that makes us different uh, from the others. One is that each of my candidates has um, roots in the uh, in the borough. Like they were born, either born and raised here or they've raised their families here. Like I wasn't born and raised here, but I've been here for over 20 years. I raised both my kids here. Um, and so all my candidates are, are very, very uh, connected to the community. And that's not the case for the other parties. And also, my party is just for Cote d'Ange NDG. So what I what I discovered when I was part of a big party like Projet Montréal, I found that I had to vote with whichever way the party was voting, even if I didn't agree with it. And I was quite uncomfortable with that. So I find that if we just have a strong council made up of my candidates or my people that are running for me, we would we would have um, a strong united front uh, to to fight downtown for what our borough deserves. We are the lowest. Uh, we are at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to how much money we get from the city. And, you know, I was in Projet Montréal and it didn't make any difference. Like I was with the administration and they did, still didn't give us uh, our, our just uh, part of the budget. So this way, if we all win, we will have six votes down at city council. And we can say to the others, like, look, you want our votes on this? What are you going to give Cotonège NDG? Whereas if it's Projet or Ensemble, they have to vote according to the party downtown. And I I really think that this is the way politics should go in Montreal because um, I think each borough is very, very different. Each of the 19 boroughs, it's very different demographically, socioeconomically, like look at Outremont compared to our borough. You know, like Outremont is tiny. I think it's like 7,000 people or something. We're 165,000. like a whole borough by itself? Yes, yes. You don't really think about this a lot, unless you're the mayor. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, there's so many things that I find uh, 
odd about this city and uh, that I would like to change. Um, so, you know, so I'm going to start with our borough and see what I can do here uh, to fix things and to change things. So in theory, a party across Montreal doesn't make a lot of sense. No, like even the party system at the municipal level makes no sense. They don't have it in Toronto. And what you do is you build alliances with other other uh, councillors and say, if you help me get this done, like let's say I could work with the councillors in Park X because we have a lot in common, right? Park X and our borough, they have a lot of immigrants. Uh, and let's say we wanted to work together um, against police profiling or something uh like racial profiling in the police department that's something we would have in common and then we could build an alliance together to do it you know to get that done at city at the city level but when you're when you're bound by the party in power like whether it's Projet Montréal or Ensemble Montréal or Mouvement Montréal um you have to vote along party lines and then you know so it's really like that like that like i guess like it's kind of yeah it is that's like and i mean i remember the one island one city stuff i was not old enough to vote yet but i remember we were in Cote st luke which i think stayed independent and yeah it stayed independent we're basically surrounded by the independents us right we've got westmount we've got montreal west Code St. Luke, Hampstead, and TMR. Right. And these guys are not... So then, so within Montreal, you have the city proper, of which yeah. all of this election impacts the city proper. And te- right. technically, Code St. Luke would have a separate thing that's its own thing that's not connected to the bigger city. Right. They will have elections too, but they'll only elect their council. Like only people from Code St. Luke will vote for people representatives in Cote St. Luke, and they don't sit on the city council uh, downtown, the Montreal council. So they just have to, in addition to that, politic with the politicians downtown and try to figure out. Yeah, they sit on what's called the agglomeration, (laughs) which is the council for all the people who aren't part of Montreal. So you can see how things don't get done, right? That may be one of the most concise explanations for how things might be more complicated than it would appear yeah. at like because the one sense i got talking to candidates is there's very little anybody can do <laughs> like i i, I mean I, I wasn't expecting well, it to like turn out like that but i'll ask questions and i listen to what everyone says and i'm like okay i'm listening to what everyone's saying but it seems like there's a lot of issues and at the end of the day ndg's in a very bizarre position because i mean nobody um Nobody has really said it, but yo, let's be real. It's English in a French city. And that's, that's the fact. And a lot of immigrants. That part too. And a lot of immigrants. Yeah. But, but, but what, that's what my entire, um, you know, court thing is about. It's, it started off because I stand up for what is right. I always have, and I always will, like, even though it's hard and people, uh, you know, it's been a very stressful couple of years. But I defended my chief of staff because I was being asked to fire her without proof. Like she's accused of psychological harassment by a very senior white male. Uh, 
and she's like in her 20s and apparently and only been on the job for three months. So there was no proof. I was never shown any evidence. And uh, so I refused to fire her. And that's why the mayor kicked me out of her party. But I don't regret it because I, I, we found out since that there was no proof of psychological harassment. But the bigger picture of all of this is it's a question of democracy. It's who's in charge. Is it the, is it the elected officials or is it the bureaucrats, the civil servants? And it, it's, it's, the answer is the elected officials because we are elected by you, the people, and we are accountable to you, the people. And when you tell us you would like something done, uh, as elected officials, it's our responsibility to give that directive to the civil servants to say, we would like, for example, um, you know, a thousand trees planted. And it's, they, they are supposed to do that. But unfortunately, uh, that's not what's happening. Um, you know, I get the feeling the elected officials are kind of looked at as Ugh, they'll be here for four years and then we'll have someone else come through. We don't really have to do what they say. But that's what my entire court uh, thing is about. It's like, who's in charge? And, uh, you know, if the civil servants, if we want civil servants to be in charge, then let's be honest and say, okay, fine, they're in charge. Why have elected officials? Well, the reason we have elected officials is because we live in a democracy. Those are really big issues you're saying. Like I, I, I'm hearing everything you're saying, and I'm going, "Damn, Montreal is kind of everything they say it is a little bit." Not to say it's like yep. fully like that, but damn, that's. I mean, I'm not. But see, and that's why I named my party Courage because I'm the only one, the only elected official, and there was another one from Proje Montreal who quit because of the way I was treated, but I'm the only one who has stood up and said. This is what's happening in this city. And it needs to change. It needs to change. And that's why I want to, I have started my own party. And I, and I didn't just go out and get any old, you know, someone with a pulse uh, to be my candidates. I spent many months talking to people, finding out who, who was really dedicated and motivated and wanted to bring real change to the borough and wanted to do it with me, you know, um, because, you know, to their credit, my candidates came with me because there would be, there's people out there who uh, think I'm, you know, the worst person in the world because of what they've read in the, the papers. But um, I'm basically a person who has always stood up for what is right, um, despite the pushback and the blowback. But you know, I couldn't I couldn't have lived with myself had I fired my chief of staff just for my political career. I wasn't going to do that. I appreciate so, I that. Pay for it. I mean, I don't know enough. And, and I just want to add that I will do the same thing for the residents of Cote d'Ange NDG. I'll defend them. I'll stand up for them because I'm not a career politician at all. I mean, I've only done this for four years, you know? So 
the reason I'm here is for the right reasons. I really want to make change. Like I have all my life made change and stood up for people who don't have a voice. And, um, you know, I just want to create a community uh, that is more equal and more welcoming and more livable for everyone. I respect that a lot. I think the most like profound thing you said is this idea of almost if each of the boroughs were to unify within this party system you're proposing where you almost create your own party and say yeah. screw the bigger party it would end up in a stronger Montreal because you could kind of sanction it off into blocks that could work together yeah. for the greater goods of independent communities so how do you start like a party? There, are two, there, are, there are two boroughs right now that have that one is La Salle and one is Anjou both mayors have their own uh uh team in power and that's what they do is they negotiate with ever whoever's in power to and say we'll vote for you on this if you give us that you know because that's what basically politics is right is like negotiating and compromise and working together for the greater good unfortunately when we have the party system the big party system in montreal all they do is spend time criticizing each other and not working together and then nothing gets done that's a fair statement um I i'm tired of it I, I don't think politics needs to be like that it doesn't need to be you know like i think this election campaign has the potential to be really really ugly but uh i'm not going to play that game like i am not interested in tearing other people down to make myself look good um, I stand on my record and uh, on the things that I want to do, like I want to get the Empress done finally. I have what a is, project in the mean? works. Well, do you know Cinema 5 on Sherbrooke and right across from the park, the NDG Park, Jewel Park? There's you know a, the one I mean? There's a cinema? There's an old cinema. Well, it's falling apart. It's never, it hasn't been open for like a good 25 years. Anyway. We, we're we going to have to demolish it, but I want to put a, a great community uh, center up there and I have partners to do so. Uh, so I want to go forward with that. We bought the land beside the YMCA. That's a park. Um, you know, we've got the Hippodrome, you know, where the blue bonnets used to be, you yeah. know, the horse track thing. I would love, like, my dream for that is to build... Um, a neighborhood that is uh, carbon neutral, you know, that where there's no cars or just on the outside, because that's what cities all around the world are doing now is finding ways to uh, keep cars outside of the city and make the city more green and livable and walkable and, you know, where you could cycle like Paris has been transformed during COVID. So has Barcelona. So, um, you know, there's a lot that can be done here to make our city more, more livable. I definitely like a lot of what you're saying for real. Um, how do you start a party? I mean, like in a more literal <laughs> sense, because like in theory, if other That's people are to like hear this, the main takeaway, like I'm an NDG, so I'm not really going to say it for myself, but let's say somebody's in i don't know Utrema. <laughs> yeah. how do you start a party and actually get no, that that's going? a very good question so anyone can start a party and you just have to register it with the quebec government 
and you need a certain number of signatures of like founding members uh not a lot like maybe i don't know 100 or something i can't remember exactly but all the information is on the uh the uh director general of elections quebec on, on their website and then uh you need to have an official agent like someone who takes care of your finances and then you have to be audited every year. Uh, you can raise money, but it's very, very strict how you can raise money. The maximum donation in an election year is 200. When it's not an election year, it's 100. So you can imagine how how long it takes to So every to one person money. can give you $100 a year? Yep. But this year you can give 200 because it's an election. So it's very difficult to, you know, it's slow going when you're trying to raise money. It's not like in the States where you have a big business handing over a million or so dollars. <laughs> like our budget is very low. Uh, and it's all volunteers, you know. Uh, that's that's one of the hardest thing is to, to attract volunteers and to get people interested, right? Like you were saying, like a lot of people, like you didn't really understand how it worked and you're you're not alone. A lot of people are, don't get it, like don't understand it. And to be honest, I wasn't that interested in municipal politics uh, when I was a journalist either, because I found it a bit dry, um, right? Like it's, it's hard to get interested in garbage pickup, but when you think about it, this is the level of government that's closest, that has the most impact on your day-to-day -day life. I think a bit of it's a communication issue. Like the one yeah. thing that is assumed is that young people don't vote only that they don't realize that it's like they're really mean people under the age of 40 when they're starting to say they just don't really vote. And that's like so almost no efforts that I've seen from modern politicians except for Jagmeet Singh are even done to communicate with young people. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like a city politics thing, but ain't nobody really doing podcasts or you know, like TikToks or really running like yeah. this kind of more youth oriented thing. Like it's almost like, like this show is called Bridge the Gap because there's a huge issue with everything. And it's like, right. how do you bridge that gap? How do you make a 20 year old and a 40 year old have a conversation and have it be meaningful at the end of the day? And I know right. that I've talked to folk and they've been like, well, young people don't vote. So nobody really focuses on them. And you can see it by certain candidates seem to yeah. care where they focus their areas. Some people only care about certain groups and stuff, but it's like, I don't know. How do politicians? Yeah, I don't think that's it? the way politics should be done. And that's why I, uh, I don't know if you've seen a picture of my team, but uh, we're very um, young. Well, I'm not young. They're very young and uh, very diverse. And, you know, that's what we're doing. We're reaching out to people uh who have never been interested in voting before and the reason they're not interested is because they don't see themselves reflected in the people who are running it's the same when before women got into politics i wasn't interested in it because all i saw were these white dudes right like i don't see myself reflected nor do i hear them discussing the issues that are important to me and so when you end up when you have a you, when you have candidates, like one of my candidates is a Filipina. Uh, another one is uh, of Haitian origin. Another one is Gua from Guadalupe originally. So all of a sudden, the Black youth 
say, oh, you know, this guy looks like me and he sounds like me and he's talking about issues that I care about. So then you're interested, right? So that's the key is to uh, change, change the face of politics so it looks more like our country and our neighborhood. I also think they got to change the marketing. It's super old school. Like it's super, right? it hasn't evolved. I know. At all. Like with almost no money, you guys could do some of the grassroots stuff we're trying to do in hip hop. And because we, we like, basically a lot of my interest came from how come there's no venues? How come there's yeah. no like, and it's, it's not always easy to like go out there and have a pro swearing environment in public. You, you can pull it off at certain <laughs> hours, like after eight seems to be appropriate in the park, but then you still have like the daytime and things like that. Where you're not allowed to swear? Well, if you're trying to be, it can be perceived as obnoxious if you're drawing too much attention. And then if you make enemies with the community, it's not that different okay. than politics, right? If you get complaints, you get complaints. So <clears throat> So what kind of venue are you talking about? Like to do hip hop or well, just what? Like, like what? Well, yeah, like anything really. Like, cause a lot of the, there's a lot more bars in a lot more places. In, in yeah, I agree. And so bars and get doubled over as venues in a lot of ways. So even if it's not like alcohol oriented, I look at it like winter's gonna come. And if you were to yeah. say where in NDG could I go with a bunch of people and throw a show inside, it's, not the simplest answer i know there's a wheelhouse now i didn't even Wheel know club. Wheel Wheel club. club. You should go there. I, f I know they exist now but i didn't even know they existed the entire time i've lived here and and so i'm gonna check that out but then it's like uh where else in indy i know there's the one community center place near like upper lachine that maybe could be used raymond something Church. oh yeah st raymond's yeah but like, but I mean, it's not really a club. Not, exactly. You know, so like, you have that vibe. You have such a huge demographic of non-parents. Non-parents yeah. is one that's always never talked to. Uh, non-parents yeah. and young people with the university yeah. right there, and it's like, yo, you force everyone to go downtown. You force me yeah. to go to the plateau because I yeah. don't have anywhere here to like go to. All the park stuff, you actually, that, that was kind of really helpful because I'm in my 30s. But if I was not in my 30s, I might be like more inclined to go downtown to a better park. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree with you. And I, when I first was elected, I found out that there was a bylaw on uh, Sherbrooke Street where uh, you couldn't have like bars or restaurants opening up side by side like they they had this weird bylaw to to minimize the number of restaurants and bars so we got rid of that because it's 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 the same it wasn't the same as on monklin and summerled so we made that uh we changed that um but i yeah i agree with you so one of the things i want to do with cinema five or or the empress which i can't believe you know, you've not seen it where you're in Deerward Park and you're facing south, like you're facing Sherbrooke Street. I'm sure I know mm -hmm. what it is, and I'm just not. You know, Shake the Cafe. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. So it's right across, from, right beside Shake the Cafe. It's this old, dilapidated mm. Egyptian. It's got like Egyptian things on the okay, front. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's awful, and uh, so what I want to do there is have like artists' apartments in the top and then community space in the middle like a multi-purpose thing where you could have 
you know, you could have people, you could perform. And then on the ground floor, like a microbrewery or a wine bar or something like that, right? Because I think that's what we're missing. You're right. Like, I would like more, I would like to a place that I could go and start dancing at seven <laughs> and not have to wait till midnight or whatever downtown, right? Uh, you would like something where you could go and put on a show, right? Well, like, it becomes like a hub for like... Yeah people like like one of the, the issues artists face in ndg i find is that it's hard to create a hub for that organic yeah. traffic of regular right. not to say regular people who are not involved in the industry to care so in a lot right. of ways we face the same challenge as local politicians um and uh and i realized it in a lot there's not a lot of hubs or even like if yeah. you were to do a debate or something or apparently i'm sure there's city hall stuff I don't know where the city hall stuff happens where I could go listen to stuff. To, like, I don't actually know where this is going on. Like this stuff isn't, I mean, I know sometimes well, stuff appears in my mailbox that's related to some politician or another, but I don't really know anything that comes to me. Like the city never really talks to us is my. Understanding. Yeah. And, and you know, you're absolutely rifled. And then this is something that I want to change as well, because, okay. Our borough council happens at DeCary and Queen Mary, but since COVID started, we've all been working from home and we've been doing council online. So you can imagine it's not very, I mean, it's not very interactive for people. Like, are you really gonna sit there and watch a, a meeting for five hours? Like, it's not that interesting. So I wanna find a way to make it more accessible to people and to actually explain pe to people like what we're voting on like, and why they should care about it. You know what I mean? Because right now, the way it's, it, it's just a bunch of contracts and, you know, a lot of it is just kind of administrative that wouldn't affect your life. But when it does affect your life, um, I think we need to let people know and explain it. But I don't know how to, like, when I first, when I first was elected, I decided I wanted a less formal way uh, for residents to learn about what we're doing. So I decided to have like coffee with the mayor. Uh, in different cafes. And it was just, you know, where we would just, we would even have a beer or coffee or whatever. And people could just ask their questions, like not formally or, you know, in front of a camera or anything like that, just like you and I are talking now. Um, because I do feel there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about what we do and, um, you know, people are kind of in the dark about how their government works. And a cynical person would say, well, that's done on purpose so that, you know, the less you know, the less you're going to want to know, right? I'm not of that school. Being a journalist, I ask a lot of questions. I want to understand things. And I kind of got accused of that when I was first elected um, by some of the bureaucrats. They said, wow, you really ask a lot of questions. Like as if, you know, I had no business asking questions, but that literally is my job to know what's going on. I'm responsible for everything. Right. Uh, I'm responsible for $68 million. That's the budget. How come the city never invests in content? And I mean, like, imagine a YouTube channel where Sue showed up once a week and summarized the week. Like, I would love to do that. Like, I would totally love to do that. And, but we have a, we are like, 
I don't know if you've seen the city's website, but they just updated it from like the 1970s, one of the original uh, websites ever put up on the internet. And it's still not user-friendly. Like I work there and I can't find things. But can't you make like your own YouTube channel? Just this. Well, somebody else suggested that to me and I would love to do that. But I'm not of your generation. So if you want to help me. It's super simple. Logistically, you would not have a hard time with it once you got the basics down. It might conceptually take a couple of minutes, but like logistically, it's it would be this with maybe a little somebody helps you edit it. But then you just have like conversations. Well, cause like for me, a lot of my life comes from YouTube, Facebook, social media sources. And it's like, I don't if there's no regulation that says politicians can't be influencers. I mean, you are influencers. So, I mean, you kind of are. <laughs> then why aren't like, to me, that would be the main thing politicians could do differently. If, if, even if it- I would love to do that because I've, I'm constantly asking myself, how can I reach people? How can I, um, cause you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on, which is like for old people now. Right. But I'm on Twitter, I'm, which I'm I think is group more of old people. <laughs> You're on Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is like, I'd say 26, 27 and up. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Instagram okay, I, is like 40 and down. And then, yeah, I'm on Instagram. TikTok on is Facebook. weird. Everyone's yeah. on TikTok, but it's a percentage of everyone. I love TikTok. But um, I think you have to be kind of creative for it to work, right? You need to have somebody around you that is creative. And then well, you okay. have to be willing to be filmed. Those okay, are not I'm the same totally thing. willing. I'm totally, I always wanted to be an actress. So, you know, I'm, I'm down to do that if there's a technician that wants to do or yeah, a What you really need person. is a 20 year old. Right. You find a 20 year old that is like, wait, say word, I can do this for clout. I'm going to be Sue Montgomery's TikTok person. And then really, I'm sure there's well, send them my way. Do you know anyone? Uh, no, I'm still looking for 20 year olds too. It's a hard thing to go <laughs> find 20 year olds once you're older, you know, you're not, it's like, you can't just, I know that's kind of creepy, right? Or it's like, they don't want to hang out with their grandmother or whatever. In my case, anyway, um, <laughs> Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm always trying and Twitter I find is just like weird. Like it's more for journalists. I think I got on Twitter when I was a journalist and I found it useful to, for following the news, but, um, and if there's an earthquake, you know, it's a good place to go to see if there's an earthquake, if that was really an earthquake you felt or not. Mm. Um, that is true, but I guess, I guess I should, uh, Okay, well, I'm going to explore those avenues because I'm looking for, uh, and now Facebook has this thing called, is it Facebook or Instagram, the Reels? Yeah, real Instagram. Reels is basically just TikTok on Instagram. Right. So whatever you would post on, you know, Dave Dialect in the chat just said, I would help Sue with a YouTube channel. I'm in like, really? I, I feel like I'm in a, I'm interviewing everybody. So I got to be neutral position right now. But if somebody said that, yeah, uh, Dave dialects in thrive NDG or something, I'm sure he, he, if he's out to help you, then that's, that's amazing. Hey, and I'm real, I really need someone to do my social media for sure. Like I love doing it, but I, it's just time. I think the part where you answer everybody the way that you do is really well done and you should keep doing that part. It's the worst Which part, part, the part where you actually answer people in groups and stuff. Yeah, but it can, you know what, It sometimes it can be a little bit soul destroying. Like I go on there and I have to be honest, 
there are times where it's really hurtful, you know? And uh, when I, what, what I find the most difficult is when I read someone who I've never met, who doesn't know me, and they're saying like really horrible things about me. And I've actually reached out to a couple of them and said, look, you seem really angry. You seem mad at me. I've never met you. Let's go for coffee and talk about it. Like, I'd like to know what it is. But then, then they just shut up. Like then they're, they disappear. Well, yeah, because they're so, what we call keyboard warriors. These are not people who are ever really... I have friends that will flat out be like, here's my address, pull up, let's go. Yeah. Because nobody's going to do it. People don't pull up. They're just there to kind of be well, Why are they so mean? Like, I don't understand being, being mean to somebody you don't even know. Like, or I, even if you know them, why do you have to be so mean? I just, I find it sort of toxic. And so there's times I have to take a break from the social media. Um, my kids actually take my phones away from me and they say, you need to walk away. I appreciate how empathetic you are to this situation. I think a lot of people aren't really aware that Facebook's the public. They've, they, so my theory is Facebook is the public, like you're in a park and everyone acts like you're at home. And so you can say what you want, but they don't really connect yeah. the fact that you're in public with your public identity. And like, they're just saying whatever they want to people because they can't see you, but they don't really treat Facebook with the same rules that they would in real life. And that- I know, but did they not realize that? Well, it, it's true. They're not using their real names either. A lot of them, right? So they, they can be invisible. Especially in the, th like in the groups like Thrive NDG, yeah. there, there's absolutely a future accounts that get created where people are there to, to to be uh shit disturbers that's what they they get off on i mean when i was younger and angrier as a human i got off on really long comment threads like you want to you feel like really no, nobody listens to you in life you feel frustrated maybe you don't like all the social change because you're not yet acclimated to why it's happening so you lash mm -hmm. out and then if you mm -hmm. go on the internet it's algorithmic rabbit holes so a lot of the yeah. angry people when they go consume content online, they end up at the same angry people. So you see the same kind of rhetoric and attitude. So it kind of creates this charged up energy where in the same vein that you fight for what you think is right, in their own twisted way, they're doing the same thing. It's just- that Well, and I also think that, uh, I think it's gotten worse during COVID and I understand like, and then again, this comes back to what I was talking about earlier, where we're all kind of a little bit traumatized and um, I understand that people are going through really, really hard times, a lot of people, and I, I feel for them. So I try not to take it personally, um, but I just kind of feel like, look, you know, yeah, I'm a politician, I guess, I'm a mayor, but I'm, but I'm a human being first and I have feelings and I, you know, I show other people respect all the time. And I kind of feel like, I, I deserve to be respected as well. And uh, you don't have to agree with me with what I'm doing. You can even be angry with me. That's okay. But let's have a conversation. You know, let's not just, don't just call me really awful names. And I think there's a, an element of being a woman in politics too, right? That uh, there's a lot of misogynists out there and uh, it's tough, you know? Um, 
I don't know what it is like it's they don't they can't stand to see a woman in a position of power or I, I don't know I don't understand it um but I I wish that that wasn't uh the way it is like that I have to say that's the part of the job I really find difficult yeah um it's definitely not simple to have people judging your life like that yeah. and then to express themselves cleanly back before youtube had comment censors they used to say mean things to me on the internet and it took a while to get you because yo one bad comment could ruin your day like it could and it seems well weird. and i just i just feel like it's unfair because you don't know me like you don't know my life you don't know what i've done uh you don't know what i've experienced or what i've suffered um and I think, I, you know, I think we could all use a little bit more compassion. Honestly, I, I just think that people need to dial it back. And and because uh, it must, I, I often think it must take so much energy to be that angry at someone you don't even know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I just think that it's almost like when you don't have a purpose, you find a purpose and it manifests however it does. And then in a yeah. lot of ways, the behavior is rewarded via like how many people will like that person that attacked you they're gonna even if 87 people like your like amazing response and it's perfect they're still gonna be like this seven people that like that guy and that, that's, yeah. that's it like it's enough to validate it to like keep it a cycle going but in a lot of ways i feel like Facebook's putting people in jail, which is definitely helping to deal with this problem. That Facebook jail thing, it's really going on. So I've noticed the behavior is a little tamer just because you literally can't get away with what you could have a year ago. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I, over time, I'm kind of watching people start to kind of check people's attitudes, but it's like okay. really slow going. This is like one of those society kind of has to police itself and decide what it feels is correct things mm -hmm. unfortunately and i think a lot of people are kind of tired of bad social media behavior but mm -hmm. then you're fighting what facebook wants which is certainly not what we want and that's a very different thing but also um you know i have a very thick skin i had to have a thick skin as a journalist i certainly have to have a thick skin as a politician but you know i often think how do people feel who don't have that thick skin? Like, like it, you know, I'm sure it leads to all kinds of mental health issues. Like we know that, right? We know young people have killed themselves over cyberbullying. And uh, I think we all need to sort of check our behavior and really think about the impact it can have on others. Yeah, I, did, I agree with you. I mean... I think a lot of people, because like if you look at YouTube culture, it's really common, right? Like YouTubers do things or say things, and then millions of people get mad and opinions. Twitter's awful. I don't really, do, I don't really talk a lot on Twitter. I watch a lot on. No, Twitter. me neither. I just kind of scroll. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when spicy engagements appears to be like the attraction, right? Because the, the other side of it is nice is boring. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I. I used to like do album reviews and they were a little more argumentative and combative in their approach. It got way better views. We got like more nice and respectful and like people cared less. And No, but I mean there's like, a difference between a debate and like disagreeing, like being 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 critical of something. 
Let's say we took it too far. I, I was a little bit of an asshole. It did better. We got more respectful. <laughs> it did worse. And I think that's kind of like a little bit something that's not lost on a lot of people that like being safe and respectful does not sell in a world where yeah. we're all in a like we've like especially when so many people have side hustles and are trying to push the this and that. We're all competing with such limited attention space. It's like we're all really bad entrepreneurs facing burnout at the same time. Like that's yeah. what I see us all as online. And then yeah. you just have bad judgment or like, yo, at seven in the morning, I try not to even answer people on Facebook because I'll say really mean things. And then by 7.45 when my coffee's kicked in, I'm like way more respectful. And I think <laughs> like a lot of us are just like learning I've seen a lot of people get softer in a sense over the last year, like kind of get more in touch with their like empathy. And mm. I but I think you're right. A lot of people are also angry and hurting and I don't, yeah. I didn't lose my job. So it's hard for me to fully empathize with the person who like hasn't worked in a year and a half and feels yeah. like useless because there's yeah. no real options forward. And, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're 18, it's probably crappy because there's not as many jobs. And if you're 40, you're probably stuck doing jobs that you were doing when you were 18 in a lot of ways. And I, I couldn't right. imagine being in that position. So I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people use this stuff to vent. It's not right, yeah. but. No, I agree. I agree. But it's culturally acceptable for the longest time. Even if it like doesn't seem like it was, it kind of was behind closed doors. It's like a lot of the stuff we were all saying behind closed doors got projected. So like those Facebook conversations are just what people would have said about you behind your back. And now you're just kind of forced to like see it. <laughs> well, that's fine. If they want to say it behind my back, I'd rather, I'd just rather not see it. That's all. I hear you. I, I don't think anybody really likes it when people go like too far on facebook except for that like small number of trolls that get smaller over time or like 15 year olds you may also be the victim of the occasional teenager having fun who knows i don't know but um with that i do think like something like a youtube or even like a twitch stream or something where you can engage with a chat in a more controlled way would at mm. least let you control the content that you output right so mm -hmm. not like getting tagged in facebook like imagine i mean and if all this stuff like what you said is is true though like people don't necessarily know your whole story and your history right like i mean mm -hmm. there's sue montgomery the person that you vote for and then there's this woman that's literally gone through so many experiences and come back a lot stronger and actually created change and actually spoke you, you actually did the things people claim they want to do so like yeah. Even if you took 10 minutes to like share stories from your past, you know, it would like create that element where you would, in a sense, create defenders who would then come through and then defend mm. you. I mean, that's kind of what ends up happening when you're like super famous is you just get your army of defenders to go against the trolls. Right. And it creates attention, which is kind of how the game seems to work today for like everything. But with the YouTube and more of an opportunity to like share, like, I don't know how many other shows reach out to you to do this, but the more times you can get your story out like that, the more it'll create that understanding that like, mm -hmm. maybe it is just being misunderstood. And I, I'm not 
I'm not really saying the media here is unbiased. I'm seeing some very biased media reporting in the Montreal Gazette and other places personally. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm anybody could write anything in these days. There's only like, yeah. Well, I don't think it's a journalist's fault per se. I just think they don't have time to do the proper research and to uh, understand the story. And so they just, they tend to just copy each other, whatever, you know, we'll take the headline from CBC and just go with that instead of doing our own research. And, um, and I think it's a real threat to our democracy, the fact that journalism has deteriorated so much. Because, you know, that's, that's supposed to be uh, the checks and balances on our, uh, on our democracy. And, you know, there's people get away with a lot of things because there just isn't good journalism uncovering it. That's fair. And then the people also stop paying for journalism. Like there is an onus or responsibility on the citizen. Like I remember when my parents consciously stopped paying for the Gazette. And then <laughs> I know most of us stopped paying for news and then never started paying for news again. Like that's the only so thing. That was the big, yeah, that was the big challenge at the Gazette. Like because what paid for the paper wasn't necessarily the subscriptions, but it was the advertising, right? And so if the Gazette could say we sell a half a million copies on Saturday, then they could charge so much for advertising because they'd have that many people looking at the ads. But then when it went online, I mean, advertisers could just advertise for free anywhere, you know? Um, so they, they never charged for it. Right. And uh, I think that was the mistake in that model. Yeah, another one was Google. Uh, I read yeah. this recently, Google basically conned all the major media, except for like one of them to like, I think it was the Washington Times said no, or maybe they didn't, it was somebody else said no, but pretty much everyone gave Google all their content for free instead of charging it. And had they all taxed Google, it would have funded all journalism for like ever on the Google tax of Google needing to pay the papers for this instead. So it's definitely exactly. a real thing that happened with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad um, because I think it's, uh, I mean, we saw what happened in the States with Trump and the election and, you know, it's because you need good journalism digging up uh, what's really going on. Uh, do you think with that, that the federal election is going to create like an election burnout on the Montreal election? I hope not. Um, but, you know, it's kind of out of our control, right? It what i find going door to door is there's a bit of confusion now people aren't sure if i'm campaigning for the federal election or the municipal like you know what am i doing at their door another person at their door um they're very nice about it though i find that people are great um but you know it is what it is i think a lot of canadians are angry that we're having a federal election that trudeau called it so that might come back to bite them um I think it's exciting that there's so much interest in the Montreal uh, election. I may be, I may be wrong about that because I'm in it, so I feel like there's a lot of interest. But there's certainly a lot of candidates in our in our borough, and that always makes for an interesting uh, race. Are you guys going to do like debates and stuff in public yeah. places? Like how? Yeah. How, how is that going to happen? Well, 
Well, the MDG Community Council is trying is organizing debates for October. Uh, it all depends on COVID, of course. Um, I think what they were hoping to do is that it would be on Zoom, but the candidates would all be in the same room and be asked, would have a moderator. Um, but now I don't know. Anyway, they're organizing something. And I think the guys at NDG Winning are also organizing something. Uh, they asked for our, our availability. And uh, I welcome that. I, I'm happy to debate everyone. And uh, I look forward to it. Because I, and I, you know, I think it's good for the voters to be able to see uh, who the candidates are, to ask them questions, to, you know, find out what they stand for. Super interesting. So I could just organize a debate and y'all could cooperate and then it just happens. I would. I'm happy. I'm happy to have a debate that sure. That's dope. I'm probably going to wait till after the federal election. Yeah, I know. That. Yeah, <laughs> I would suggest that. But you know what? The good thing about the federal election is the campaign is very short. Like it's mm. going to be over in three weeks, less yeah. than three weeks. I realized uh, that. Uh, and then ours starts on the 17th of September. And, you know, so it's long. It's like 55 days or something. So, but I just hope that it's respectful. I, like I said earlier, I'm not one of these people that uh, likes to tear other people down to make myself look good. I'm, I'm running on my record. I think I accomplished a lot during my four years, uh, despite COVID and despite everything else. And um, what would you say yeah. your like favorite win of the last run is like, what are some of the highlights to you? Things we accomplished? Yeah. Well, we got $9 million to renovate the Trent Home Center. Uh, we bought the land beside the YMCA, the green space. So I was happy about that. Uh, we planted over 2,000 trees, which right. I think is really important. Um, what else? Uh, and during COVID, I'm, I'm quite proud of the way we uh, supported all the community groups. We gave them extra money because of all the work they were doing. And, you know, they just were overwhelmed with demand. And I actually um, did a lot of uh, volunteering at the um, uh, Multicaf, the food bank. Uh, I did, I put meals together and I uh, helped, uh, helped, you know, they, they were they were putting together meals for uh, families and also like food baskets, you know, so I helped do that. And also at MADA, which is the food bank for the Jewish uh, community, uh, I did volunteer work there as well. So, you know, I think I think those would be the highlights of uh, of my mandate. Um, and those little parkettes that we put up, I think they're kind of cool. And I'd like to do more of those. And just because it's happened to pop up in the past uh, as questions people have asked, what would you do differently next time? <laughs> oi, oi, oi. What would I do differently? That's a good question. I think I, think I would have got some... Uh, I would have got some support, like some coaching about um, about managing a team. And, uh, you know, but, but things in politics happen so fast. And, uh, you know, all of this, 
other stuff kind of took me by surprise. I, it was a complete shock when I when that news happened. And then things unfolded very quickly. People reacted very quickly. And then next thing I knew, I was kicked out of the party. So I felt like there was no chance or no opportunity for discussing it in a calm adult manner like I just wanted to talk to people even the mayor I reached out to her and I said can we just talk about this and she wouldn't respond to my messages so I just felt like all of a sudden I was being bombarded with grenades and cannons and god knows what and you know we hadn't even sat down to talk about what was happening right I don't know if that makes sense like it does um, I just wish someone had given me an opportunity to express myself and to ask them questions about what was going on and why. Um, because I was really, I was really taken off guard and really confused and very frustrated by the lack of support that I, I, I had no support from human resources. I had no support from upper man like the 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 city i had no support from the mayor um i just felt very much alone and so i think i would have i should have um you know reached out externally maybe to get some support to figure out how to negotiate all of that and how to navigate those stormy waters right but i certainly do not regret um refusing to fire my chief of staff. I, it was the right thing to do. And I would do it all over again, because, you know, I believe in due process. I believe everybody has uh, the right to a fair trial and to see the evidence against them. And uh, that wasn't the case. I definitely appreciate that. I mean, I think it's weird that the mayor didn't answer you. I mean, at the very least, in that context, the conversation to me feels appropriate. But I don't know what the mayor does. I know that. Well, mayor... she didn't even. She didn't even when she kicked me out of the party. She did it uh, through the media. Like she sent out a press release. She didn't call me or send me a message or give me a heads up that it was happening. So it was a Friday evening, I remember, and I start getting my phone starts ringing like crazy from the media. And messages coming in saying the mayor, you know, we want your reaction to being kicked out of Projet Montréal. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, I just find that not very classy, you know? I agree. I mean, I, again, I don't know what the appropriate response in a situation like that is, but I imagine a phone call at least would be like yeah, the appropriate would, thing to do. Yeah, you would think, but. That's fair. Um, I'm not really sure what else to ask at this point. I feel like we got, a but lot we've been talking for like an, my, an hour and a half. Yeah. My, my stuff can go pretty long. I, some people oh. will like take it. To, some people <laughs> will really take it to the next level. I think the record is five hours and five minutes for one of these. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, when you get to like music talk, you can, you can get real tangential debating the nuances of how to make it as okay. an independent artist. And if I was a politician, okay. I bet we could talk shop in a different way that would like extend it further and whatnot. But in general, yeah, to me, it's like it's interesting to hear people be people like as much as you might be a politician. We're not I don't think anyone's voting on 
campaigns. <laughs> That's not why anyway. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of people who pick Trudeau because of that picture of his butt. And I'm not lying. <laughs> That's a real thing that happened. Well, so like, you know, <clears throat> I think what I learned in the first uh, campaign is, uh, and I'm, I'm like all voters, like I really do not like to hear promises from, from uh, politicians. Um, I have a vision for our borough for sure. Um, but I think it's kind of, um, it's kind of cliche almost to make these promises. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and quite frankly, I'm not even sure people believe that, you know, uh, I can tell you what my vision is, what I would like the borough to be like. Uh, but I can also tell you that I can't do it alone and that I need the residents on side. And I think we all need to work together. Uh, rather than top down, you know, I think that people don't know how to get like if you were to be like get involved, it's it's not like the easiest thing to. I mean, we know yeah. that we can go volunteer at charities, those are like things, but when you get to like getting involved in yeah. politics, it's like honestly listening to how Peter McQueen fought like the Upper Lachine stuff that or whatever whatever has happened at the hospital to close off the road or like the more tangible examples of how it comes in kind of helps add context. But even then it's like, it seems like it takes independent civilians to organize groups to kind of work with the, the, the government yeah. in a sense. And at that point, I don't think anybody knows how, I, I mean, it's like, right. it seems weird where it's almost like creating a tutorial series on this is the vision. Yeah. This is what you can do to help with those yeah. kinds of things would be more in line with like actually creating action because otherwise you're just waiting for people to take initiative where it's right. not super clear. Yeah, no, that's a really good, uh, and you're absolutely right. I think people feel very disconnected from the government and that's what I'm trying to change. I want people to see me not as, you know, the mayor who's up here. I want them to see me as, as also a resident of this borough who cares about it uh, and who wants to listen to what, who wants to hear what the residents want and figure out how can we uh, move that together, like do it together, you know? Um, so maybe that's another YouTube series, right? Like a uh, tutorial on how so to get involved. In there's, so huh? much, there's so much power in that right there because right just assume most people don't have the imagination to think of how they're going to do it by themselves. That's yeah. if anything, if I had a politician saying, here's how you can help if you want to help and being really like yeah. clear cut about it, I'd pay more attention to that. Otherwise, the only thing I can remember about Russell Copeman is that they managed snow really well that one time. <laughs> That's it. I don't well, you know what you can do Holden to help is shovel your sidewalk. <laughs> I live in an apartment. That's on the building. <laughs> okay. All right. You don't have to do that then. <laughs> but otherwise, I probably would do my basic sidewalk shoveling. I don't know. I yeah. guess that's a thing people should do because the city's technically responsible, but the people. You have to do it in Toronto. You have to shovel outside the sidewalk in front of your house. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you were like, that's where like those really corny PSAs Canada does, they kind of sometimes work. <laughs> Like there's yeah. a few of them that are effective. Don't ask me right now yeah. which ones, but like there are probably things or the reduce, reuse, recycle. My gosh, that was effective. Well, I mean, it didn't really work. Or well, what about one like, like don't throw your cigarette butt on the ground? 
I'd like to do that one. Mm. I hate cigarette butts all over the place. Yeah. Um, and they don't break down, you know, they're bad for the environment. That's where like with strategic planning on a good content campaign, you probably could get your point across to a lot more people or at least people like my girlfriend will be more willing to yell at people who do it, which is really what you're going for. Cause at the end of the day, it's the only way that kind of stuff changes is the public. Or how do we get people to stop sitting idling their car? That's another one. And that is actually illegal. There is a bylaw against that because it's bad for the environment. Um, but people sit in their car all the time um, idling. And I, I gently tell them or politely tell them that, ask them, could you please turn your engine off? And some people are, are complete, like they say, oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize it was running or whatever. Other people are very uh, unhappy. It's a matter of putting the, planting the seeds. Yeah. And then exactly. letting other people run that, to be honest, because I don't think yeah. you can go that hard on being confrontational with the citizens. But No, I can't. I'm uh, never confrontational. I'm always very polite. Um, but if you can encourage enough people that this is like cool or the right way to be in a sense, it's yeah. those little, it's kind of like that drop in a bucket mentality. And I, I just go to YouTube because it's what I know really well, but whatever it may be, Maybe it's creative bus flyers, like banner. Maybe it's a bus yeah. ad or like, you know, like there's all these things that people could do where like it would be a matter of just not being old about it. And I, right. I don't mean that like disrespectfully, but like. the No, no, no. That, like, I totally get it. Like, how do we reach people? And that's been my challenge. I mean, I'm a communicator, you know, I was a journalist for years. It's like, how do I make this story resonate with people how do i make this how do i make it so that people will want to read it and to feel what i felt interviewing this person so that's what i'm always looking for like how can i communicate with the residents that um you know they understand how things work you know what they can do what kind of power they have and so on well it's like stuff like apparently there's a montreal charter which yeah there I, is but yeah. yeah, I know. I know your friend uh, likes to drag that out, but um, it's I true. Didn't, I didn't know it existed. As I was okay. saying, like, I'm that's not, fair I don't enough. Know if it's like a, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know anything about it. But the fact that like stuff like that exists, whether or not it's useful, is like yeah. wildly interesting. That I don't think if I found twenty Montrealers and I asked them all, they nobody would know this thing exists. So yeah. Well, no, you're right. And it's about, you know, what are our rights and responsibilities as as Montrealers? And it's an important document. And yeah, it's probably worth uh, bringing bringing attention to. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand your reaction. I'm I'm not friends with anybody. I'm just saying I'm here. <laughs> people, people talk, right? If you run into somebody yeah, in the park and they tell you about the Montreal Charter of Rights, you're going, wait, that's a real thing? I, yeah. I, was, I was blown away that that existed. Really? I've been here for 33 years and not one person has ever in my entire life mentioned the fact that there is a Montreal Charter of Rights of Sorts. Like that to me yeah. is wild. Or like even half the groups or initiatives or things that the city has done, like like my knowledge of what exists in the city is, is really not there. Like there's a lot mm -hmm. of NDG cultural groups where like I might be aware of them because of like Facebook or whatever, but... I don't know that the city's done a whole lot to organize information very well. 
And I know that there's yeah. a website, but there might be ways to work around it is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm going to take up your suggestion. Yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to get those young people on, on, as my mom would say, the YouTube. Yo, run it. <laughs> Yo, people like self-aware people. So if you just keep your same energy, you'll do fine. People will love it. Yeah. All right. Well, tell that friend of yours, who was it? Doug, Dave on that texted you uh dave dialect said that i'm gonna definitely hit him up after and be like sue's serious <laughs> uh but uh yeah i actually know him on facebook sure he's not a serial killer or anything no nah, he's a rapper i'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm like it's not a drop nah i think he's a rapper like i'm 98 okay and he's like a rapper and he's like legit okay. like he's one of those guys who's been around since time and like a lot of people have respect for so like, maybe i could do a rap song yeah, all I'm saying is yeah. there is, listen, I know a lot of rappers. I don't know that many that would do it for politics, but there's definitely rappers out there that would work with you on that on some. Right? Maybe I, we could do um, something about cigarette butts, like rap about cigarette butts. I'm telling you. I, 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 it's coming. It's coming. But the thing is, it. is like, because I know you guys can pay people as a freelance. Oh, it's not a rapper. My bad, Dave Dialect. Uh, I don't remember what you did. I'm sorry. I know your name has come around and I've seen it before. It says what okay. it is. He's still in the chat though. So therefore he's heard you and he's not, he's aware. So you can reach out. Okay. Well, time. it's a pretty cool name. He sounds like a rapper, right? The name. It's a nice name. Because yeah. this dialect makes you think talking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it, it is though. I'm with, I'm with everyone else saying it's a rapper name. Um, <laughs> but, but like, um, yeah, I kind of got distracted there a bit. Yeah, basically, if I understand correctly, y'all can technically pay rappers as a freelancer for the service of songwriting slash performing in some way and legally do that. And that would okay. incentivize rappers because I asked somebody else how it could be done. But technically, ghostwriting is a profession, which makes it mm -hmm. legal for you to pay somebody to do that in theory. Of course. And I'm sure that people would do it for not expensive at all. We're talking like people are not that rich here. So mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say everything's possible if like, you dream it into things. And then it's just a matter of planning it up. DJ, producer, photographer, videographer. Honestly, you're doing way better with Dave Dialect and all those skills than if he was a rapper. <laughs> way oh, better what is he? DJ, pr DJ, producer, and photographer, videographer. So like oh my way, God. way useful stuff for all that kind of things. Shout out Dave Dialect. Yeah. But um, yeah. So with that, you just gotta, just gotta. I don't know. Dream it up, and then that, that's how I ended up here. Is I had a whim, yeah. and then Moral right? liked my whim. Yeah, you and, just gotta, yeah. You just go for it, right? And then it works out. Like the like the pinball pinball machine. It's a Look. really good way to live life if you're trying to do ambitiously big things. Yeah. You just have to jump off that cliff. And what's the worst that can happen? Your parachute doesn't open. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, but then you won't know if you failed or not, right? I, I mean, when you put it like that, it's for real. It's true. You won't know. So it's. <laughs> yeah. You might as well try it. That's amazing. 
I appreciate having you here, Sue Montgomery. I appreciate everybody that watched it too. For the people that stuck around, there's a fair my, Facebook. I never, nobody on my Facebook watches unless it's one of these political ones. So I'm like into that. Oh really? Yeah. So there's people across the Facebook and the Twitch watching it, which is cool. So shout out all of you for being here. Those of you that interacted, it's it's dope that y'all did that. Um, in the future, people like, comment, subscribe, all that. Sue's links will all be in the description of the channel so you all can go ahead and follow her and reach out if you have any questions do you plan on doing a lot of public appearancey things like all the other people are doing um i'm doing a lot of door to door uh and i'm talking to a lot of people that way i do go to events for sure um you know but uh i'm still running the borough too so I, mm. i've got i've got a lot on my plate right now until uh well until the election is official the i have another council meeting on september 13th that's the last one and then uh you know once they call the election then i'll be full-time campaigning so if anybody out there wants to help in my campaign come on down it's fun we have a good gang <laughs> I appreciate we need you volunteers well, definitely. and you can learn about politics the wacky world of politics honestly it's way more it's way more interesting once you delve past the surface of parks <laughs> I know, right? But uh, I know, I know. But that's what municipal, you know, it is. It's like the mundane things. It's garbage. It's roads. It's snow clearing. It's parks. Now, but but then you get into the good stuff like ineffective project and people management, and then bureaucracy and red tapes and all the yep. wild stuff where it gets into like more interesting. But yeah, oh, believe to me, I I have a book. In fact, I could do a Parks and Recreation only like, you know Parks and Rec? Yeah, that's an amazing Yeah, show. I could do Parks and Rec only like the the Parks and Rec meets, um, what was the other political show that was really dark? House of Cards. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be my Netflix series because you couldn't make this stuff up. You should do that once you're done. Do a tell totally. all. I would be wild. I appreciate you a lot. So you have a great energy. I think people should help you. I think people should also help the other candidates watching so that I'm not biased. But I think people should get involved. <laughs> well, I know like Moro Pena is watching and he's also running against you in theory party-wise. So like I'm like, well, I don't want to be like pro him. But I was pro him on his Moro was making fun of my knitting. And I'm I'm quite offended about that. Because uh, knitting is, uh, did you see that there was an Olympic diver that knit in the stands while he was waiting? Knitting helps me focus and concentrate. Yeah, knitting so, is like any other creative art. It just right. gets hated on. Can you tell your friend Moro that? That it was a bit sexist to to mock my knitting. Yo, Moro, you heard the lady because I know you're still watching. <laughs> if not... Um, but, so you know we agreed to play nice and i don't think that was very nice so that's fair there i, I said it i don't think we should mock knitting um no but, you know, listen knitting creates clothing and honestly all i know is anybody i ever know that got into it gets this weird cathartic look on their face when they knit exactly and it helps me focus like if am i in a meeting I'm not drifting off if I'm knitting. I'm actually paying attention. And I bet you I'm the only person in the room that can tell you what the meeting is about because everybody else is on their, you know, devices playing 
Scrabble or something. Um, but you know, I'm going to tell you a quick story about knitting. In history, a lot of women knit like Morse, Morse code to help the allies in the war. They would knit, uh, you know, messages into their knitting and give it to the allies fighting the Germans. Super nifty. Right? Like, actually, yeah, I like that kind of history stuff. I'm, yeah. So check out Madame de Forge in history. She used to knit uh, messages into her knitting for the allies. So there you go. So maybe Moro better watch out. I might be knitting, you know, special messages against Mouvement Montréal. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love your sense of humor. I appreciate you being here again, Sue. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. It was really awesome. I really enjoyed it. You're a very lovely person. And I hope we can meet in, in, in person one day. I'm definitely around NDG. You'll likely catch me at Girard Park annoying people with an amp. Okay. Well, if you see me, uh, you'd probably see me riding through on my bike. Uh, you know, trip me or something. I'll definitely, Say hi. I'll definitely trip you in a way that doesn't, you know, cause you to not yeah, have the power. Cause an there. accident. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Awesome. I wouldn't, I'd hate to run into some kid in the playground. That would not be good. Mayor runs over child with bicycle. Not oh good. Gosh, that would be a headline. <laughs> no, uh, no. Don't want it. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. It was out. really great. And, and uh, let's have a debate. Yeah, we'll definitely look into yeah. that. And yo, thanks again, everybody. Live long and prosper, everyone. And we'll definitely see what we can do about getting some kind of debate going or something. Great. Thanks a lot. Ciao. Thank you.